Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we're going to talk about skateboarding and the social and health benefits of the sport. I say sport because in case you didn't catch the summer games this year, you might not have realized this is one of the newest Olympic sports. Now, when I grew up, skateboarding was something you'd get in trouble for if you were on public property. But today, there's skate parks throughout our city and more and more people than ever are skating. Even I've taken the sport back up some early mornings when the crowds are thin at the park. Well, today we're going to take an interesting look at the sport. First, we're going to talk with BJ Randall, who recently started a program called Skate 101 in Pasadena. This program teaches youth how to skateboard and teaches them the basics of the sport and etiquette of the skate park. He's also an advocate for breaking down barriers in the sport, holding girls-only skate classes to help equal the ratios on those ramps and bowls. Now, if what BJ tells you sparks your interest for the sport, my friend John Loader, owner of Relic, is here to teach us about the basics of buying a skateboard and what you should know when picking out the right one for you. Finally, in the second half of the show, we have my mentor in kinesiology, Dr. David Bain, who's an expert in neuromuscular physiology. He's going to break down what's happening in our bodies when we learn new skills skateboarding. He's also going to share what physiological requirements are necessary like balance, coordination, strength and power, and those athletes we watched on the world stage. To borrow BJ's title, we're about to start a course in Skateboarding 101. Let's check it out. Hey BJ, welcome to the show. Hey Mike, how's it going? It's going great. It's going great. And I, I'm really excited about our chat. We're talking about a sport that I used to do when I was a kid, and that's skateboarding. I grew up skateboarding, got into it. I even head to the skate park a little bit now in my older years, but I don't skate as much as you. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and, uh, and, and your history of the sport? Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, my name is BJ Randall. I'm uh, 36 years old. I'm from Pasadena, Newfoundland. I grew up in Pasadena, Newfoundland most of my life. I started skateboarding at the age of 10 and uh, continue to do it to this day. So uh, try to get out skateboarding at least once a week, as much as possible, really, but at least once a week. And uh, recently, I've been starting a new uh, skateboard camp and, and trying to get some kids involved. I love that. I love that. We're going to talk about that today because we're close to the same age. I got a few years on you. I won't say how many, but I got a few on you. Yeah, yeah. And when we grew up, skateboarding was a much different beast. It's in the Olympics now. It's mainstream. But like, how did you get into skateboarding? Because when you grew up, it was like a little bit of a counterculture, you know? Honestly, I had two cousins and they're close to my age. Their names are Shane and Chad. And they came over to my house one day and they both had been given skateboards by a friend of theirs. And uh, two of them got together and we just set up a couple of pieces of wood in my backyard because there was no pavement in our area at that time. So we used to just ride down the piece of wood and we used to put a piece of fence post at the end of it and just, you know, kind of ride off the piece of fence post and grind the rail. And, you know, it, it got, it got interesting to me. And, uh, just down the road a little further, I had uh, two friends, uh, Andrew and Artie Canes, and in their yard, they had these two little like concrete curbs, I guess, that started in by their house and went out to the end of their driveway. And we used to just like take skateboards with no trucks and stuff on them and run and put them on there, wax the curb up and like run and slide on it. So like I, I got really interested into like all the different things we could do with this little piece of wood, you know, and uh they were all interested in it. And I guess it was just kind of a time and place. There's Tony Hawk skateboard games and stuff were on the go and kids were interested in that stuff. So it didn't seem like 
so far off, you know, like it was always skateboarding was kind of something that you knew somebody did, but you never really seen it around. And I feel as though like after those games and stuff came out, you've seen it become more mainstream and more kids were on it. I agree with that. You know, for, for you when you were growing up, you obviously stuck with it. You could have been playing any number of sports. Why did you stick with this? And what did you sort of see as the benefits when it came to like being your sport or activity? Well, uh, growing up, I played a lot of baseball. My family are involved in uh, softball mostly. Uh, I had an uncle that played baseball also. And, uh, you know, I, I was involved in that from a very young age. And I used to be down to the ball field and I'd look up and I'd see the skateboarders in the skate park. And I'd always say like, you know, oh man, like I'd, I'd like to go up and try that. Like I said, we were messing around with them at home and, you know, kind of really didn't have the guts to go up through you know, there's a, like in Pasadena, if you wanted to go to the skateboard park, there was, that's like where all the teenagers hung out and uh, the skate park was in an old tennis court. So like there was only one way in and there was this big kind of garbage box there and everybody would just kind of sit on it. And it was like, you know, it didn't seem like a a friendly place to go. So it was kind of like, you know, you didn't really want to bother going up there, but, uh, you know, once, once you got up there and realized like those people, they didn't care if you were there or not. So you just walk on through them. They'd say hello to you after a while, you know, once you got past the stigma of it, you know, it was, it was actually a pretty welcoming place. So, yeah. So you faced some challenges when you first went to the skate park. It was a little bit intimidating. What are some of the challenges people face these days when they try to go to a skate park? Uh, lack thereof, a lot of in, in our area, you know, there, there's not many skate parks to go to. And the ones that are around in, you know, on the West Coast, they're um, dilapidated and, and there's, you know, barely any features in them. So you get there and you roll around on the uneven dirt and stuff. And, and it's kind of, it's not rewarding, like being in St. John's and the areas in there that have the beautiful concrete skate park. So it's not so welcoming uh as the nice concrete parks you get over in those and you can cruise around and enjoy it but like i find the parks here and stuff are are pretty limited on what you can do you know right right and and, you know one of the things that uh we're going to be talking about today is the camps you've been running and the key to that is you're trying to create it a more inclusive environment at the skate parks tell me all about these because this these are actually an amazing initiative you're doing yeah, so what I've been doing, uh, I've been doing ages uh, 6 to 14, essentially. Uh, we had a couple 16-year-olds. Uh, they were, the, the, you know, two 16-year-olds. But um, I'm teaching skate park etiquette, basic balance techniques, where you got to be in the skate park, trying to get the stigma away from it, you know, and, and get kids excited to go there, you know, because it, it, it's fun. And once they get there and they realize, you know, that it's so free and, don't have a coach and you don't have like, like what I teach the class, but I I try to be their friend. You know, I'm I'm not there coaching them. If they don't want to do something that we're doing, they can just step to the side. Like it's, it's not a big deal. Skateboarding is about what you want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. That's right. And one of the things I saw that was particularly interesting, one of my really good friends, Jody Cook is a skateboarder. uh, And she was uh, talking about the program you're doing for young women to bring them into the sport, because I think it's particularly intimidating for them to enter a skate park if it's full of a bunch of guys, right? Totally, totally. I mean, uh, girls, uh, it was unheard of uh, when I was skating in the late 90s and early 2000s in Pasadena and stuff like we didn't hear us girl skateboarders. There was very few. 
Um, in my area, Morgan, uh, she uh, owns the bootleg beer place here in uh, in Cornerbrook, and she she was the only girl skateboarder that I knew growing up. And uh, she used to come out and skate with us all the time, and uh, nobody else did it. And she was known as the girl that skateboarded. You know, like it's it's total different now. Like now, you look around Pasadena, there's girls cruising around everywhere on longboards and shortboards and pennyboards, skateboards. They're just skateboarders. They're everywhere. That was BJ Randall, founder of Skate 101. When we come back, we'll finish our conversation and then be joined by John Loader, owner of Relic on Water Street in St. John's, about what we need to know when buying our first skateboard. Welcome back. I'm here with BJ Randall, founder of Skate 101. We're finishing our conversation on why he created a program to teach skaters about the basics of the sport, as well as foster inclusion at our local skate parks. Let's get back to our conversation. What do you hope comes from this camp? Yeah, honestly, man, if I can get two kids uh, in, interested in skateboarding and develop a lifelong friendship, that's all I care about. I mean, you know, I just just alone since I've done the first camp, the amount of kids that come up to me and thank me and, and you know, that's, that's, that's been worth it to me. You know, I've done, I've done my thing. Like it, uh, it, you know, any, anything else from now is a bonus. And uh, hopefully like my goal is, I guess, to uh, bring skateboarding back here. Cause at one time the West coast of Newfoundland, there was a lot of really good skateboarders here. Mm, it's very much known for that type of, uh, you know, alternative sports sort of scene with the outdoor activities, skiing and snowboarding and all that stuff. You talked about some, making an impact on kids. Are there any stories you want to share that were like maybe be inspiring to some kids that are listening here tonight? I, I had this one kid and I'm not going to name who he is, but in my first camp, he showed up and um, he, his parents never had a waiver sign for him. So I mean, the kid, he's always around the skate park. He's always there on his bike. He never had a skateboard, but he's always like, every time I go there, he sees me and he's like, Oh, BJ, can I use your skateboard? Whatever. And I'm like, yeah, man, take it. Go like, just, just ride around. I always carry an extra one in my truck. So this day I have the skateboard camp and he shows up and I was just like, Oh man, like I knew he never had a waiver. So I couldn't let him skate. So he kind of just stayed off to the side and, and just didn't go, you know? So at the end of the, at the end of the, program a teacher friend of mine uh, who was a, a high school teacher of mine he uh, donated a skateboard like a full complete as a, as one of the prizes so later on that evening i got it geared up and i went down and i knocked on the door and uh, he came out and uh, i had you know told him like you know logan i'll give you a skateboard if if you're uh, interested in skateboarding you know and he's like i de i definitely want to do your course next next time i come to the skate park i hope you're doing your course he's like and i'll and i'll do it well whatever you whatever you tell me to do i'll do he was so excited you know so anyway i, I left that day and uh, you know i felt pretty good about it giving them the skateboard and the fellow that donated the skateboard i i don't know if he knows where the skateboard went I, like i don't think i ever told him mm. but just last week i went back to the skate park so this is like a full year later and uh, he's there and he's got the skateboard and uh, he comes to me right soon as I walk in and he's like, BJ, BJ, look, look, look. And he like walks up to the top of the ramp, lays the skateboard down and he rides down the side and goes up the other ramp and comes down backwards. And he jumps off and we, he runs over and gives me the biggest high five. And it was like, yes, like, I don't, I don't care if, if anything else happens from skateboarding, like it, I done it. This was it, man. That's the moment right there. 
That's so. amazing. That's amazing. That's great. I love hearing those yeah. stories. And you know, those are totally. the ones that can change kids, not just for skateboarding, but in all aspects of life. It gives them confidence that they can extend to other parts of their life. And that's why I think it's such a great program. Uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about something that's important because kids are going to get super excited about, you know, going out and trying skateboarding. But what about the safety stuff? What, what should kids know about this? Because I think sometimes people don't think that, you know, safety gear is cool, but maybe they'd be better yeah. if they heard it from somebody like you. Yeah, totally. I mean, helmets are good. Like uh, I wear a helmet, uh, like uh, what, what happened? I never did wear a helmet. Uh, growing up, I, I never did wear a helmet on skateboard. And um, once I started, when I had my own kids, uh, I would bring them to the skateboard park and they would be there and I'd have them all suited up with their helmets and their pads and everything on their bikes and on their scooters and skateboards. And, um, I would, uh, the kids would come up to me and I'd be skateboarding and they would call me on it every time. Mm -hmm. Hey, mister, you're, you don't have a helmet on. And I, you know, they'd stick me every time. I'm like, Oh, you got me. Right. Like, and they kind of guilted me into it, you know? So it was just like, every time I showed up, they'd call me on it. So I just started wearing one. And then after a while, I was like, you know, I, I don't know why I never, you know, like you need a helmet on skateboarding. I mean, it's very easy to hit your head. Yeah, that's right. Like, and especially when you're first learning too, right? Things can totally. Get yeah. You don't really know what to expect until you've done a trick a few times. So I think that's great advice for people. If people wanted to find out about your program, how can they do that? I'm on Facebook, uh, Skate 101. It's at Skate 101 NL. And um, I mean, they can inbox me personally at, on Facebook, BJ Randall on Facebook or Instagram at BJ Randall 686. I just update my Facebook every so often and my own statuses and stuff. And the town of Pasadena also, they like when they pretty much uh, take care of all the registration and stuff like that. So when it does happen, they keep posting on their webpage and stuff like that. That's great. So people can stay tuned to that. Now, the most important question of the day, how soon is it going to be before your kids are better than you? <laughs> uh, man, some of them are well on their way. But I mean, uh, they got a ways to come yet because I've been practicing a long time. Well, that's good. That's good. Well, hopefully they all do. Hopefully people listening can can hear this and, and learn about what a great sport it was. It added a lot to my life. It helped me a lot when I came to skiing and snowboarding, things like that later on in life, too. So it's a, it's a great thing. It's a great thing you're doing, too, as well. So thanks for joining us today. Oh, no problem at all. I really enjoy it. I think I get more from it than, uh, you know, than actually skateboarding itself. Like I, I really I really enjoy giving back. That's awesome, man. Okay, well, you keep care and you keep us updated on when those courses are coming out so people can attend. Totally. That was BJ Randall talking about his new program, Skate 101, over on the West Coast. Now let's chat with John Loader, owner of Relic, about the things we need to know when buying a board. What type, what shape, and components we need to get out there and learn safely. Let's check it out. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, man. We are talking all about skateboarding today. Tell me a little bit. You got a bit of history in skateboarding yourself. Tell me a bit about that. I mean, very little history in skateboarding. I mean, I loved it as a kid. Uh, you know, spent a lot of time doing it growing up. Unfortunately, you know, once I uh, went away to university and, uh, and had to get a job, it definitely took a back burner. <laughs> right, right. But you, you now sell skateboards to like a good proportion of the population in the city. Tell me about your shop. Yeah, I was lucky uh, years ago after finishing university. I mean, I ended up getting hired by the man who owned the local shop. 
and worked for him for seven years at Ballistic. And it was a great experience and uh, had the opportunity to start my own shop when he got out of the business. It's called Relic. And yeah, we have a huge selection of skateboard stuff and um, clothing and footwear to go along with it. Right. Well, I still remember the first time I bought a skateboard. Uh, it was a really cool process. But, you know, there's a lot of things that go into decision of buying a board. Can you run me through like the basic types of skateboards that are out there? Yeah, I mean, just your traditional old fishtail board that would have been uh, what you see back in the 90s. And, uh, that evolved into uh, what we call a pro skateboard these days, which is like a twin tipped board that's meant for doing tricks. And then, you know, long boards have evolved as well for people that are doing a more downhill thing or want to take things a little bit more extreme. Really popular, obviously, in any place that has high change in elevation. Uh, but predominantly, we sell cruiser boards for people that just want to get out there and have fun and pro boards for people that want to do tricks. It's not just buying a board. You, you get to buy all the little components with it, too. So, like, what are all the pieces and parts that make up a skateboard? Of course, you need, you know, wheels bearings, trucks, and your board, your basic components, grip tape on the top. I mean, the shape and size of each one of those components changes. Someone being more technical wants harder wheels. Someone, you know, wanting to go for a cruise wants shorter wheels. If you're a more technical skater, you want a skinnier deck so that you can do more technical tricks versus if you want a cruise, you want a bigger deck because there's more place to put your feet, you know, more margin for error for someone who's not doing it every day. If somebody doesn't know those things, how, how do they find out the right info? Because there's somebody they can actually chat with when they go to a shop like yours? Uh, there is for sure. There's someone there that can always talk you through all the components. I mean, we're lucky in St. John's to have a bunch of great retailers that are selling skateboard stuff. So, I mean, no matter where you go, I mean, stay out of the mall. But outside of that, uh, you know, you're going to get good advice no matter where you go. That's awesome. So another thing we can't really dodge over because it's really important stuff is, is safety. So, you know, like how important are pads? I used to work with the Newfoundland Injury Prevention Coalition and, you know, helmet safety was a big thing. You can bang your head pretty hard, especially when you're first learning out. Like what's your view on pads and do you guys sell those as well? I would definitely sell them. I think it's very important for kids. I think, you know, learning how to fall is the biggest thing about learning how to skateboard because uh, <laughs> you're going to do it many times. And so until you actually do, do learn the nuances of falling and how to roll out of something and you know, how not to hit your head, it's definitely really important that you wear pads as a young person and definitely a helmet. A helmet's definitely important. So if we were looking at supporting some local brands, because I know you guys carry some stuff, like what are some of the local providers that are going to be sold out of your shop? We're carrying uh, two local brands right now. One's called Atlantic Air. Judd Haynes is the driving force behind that local artist that took his time off during COVID to dive in there when he didn't have so much work on the go because of everything and really uh, made that brand come alive. A lot of great artwork that is inspired by the coast of Atlantic Canada and specifically Newfoundland. Uh, we also carry a brand called Pogi, which is a really cool little fun brand that's uh, just got started by Mike Hamlin. Anything you want to leave folks with before we close up here today? I just want to, you know, if anybody's really thinking about getting out there and enjoying it, uh, come down to the shop and chat to one of the people down there working and they'll definitely help you out. And uh, you can look out. There's a couple of local skate nights that try to get, uh, try to be very inclusive and get everybody out there. That's great, man. Well, thanks so much. And uh, you have a safe flight tomorrow. I know you're leaving early in the morning. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. 
That was John Loader from Relic on Water Street sharing what we need to know when buying a skateboard. If you visit their shop, you're likely going to walk away with some sneakers and clothes to boot. Well, when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. David Bain, who is my master's degree supervisor and one of the leading authorities in the world on stretching, balance, and neuromuscular physiology. He's going to tell us about the physiology of skateboarding. It's super interesting, so stick around for the second half of the show. Welcome back. We're here with my mentor in physiology, Dr. David Bain. It's not just me he's mentored, he's been shaping minds at Memorial for over 25 years. Dr. Bain's research is all about how your muscles respond to acute and chronic activity, focusing mainly on measuring muscle activation, resistance training, fatigue, stretching, and even going upside down. His research has been used extensively internationally to develop training techniques for athletes, and he's presented his work all around the world. He's going to break down the physiology of skateboarding, and for even the most seasoned skater, I bet you learned something new. Let's check it out. Hey, Dr. Bain, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. Yeah, I should say welcome back. You were one of my first guests when we talked about stretching, and today we're talking about something that's a bit of a stretch uh, when it comes to physiology, and that's skateboarding, because it hasn't really been looked at that much. But when I thought, who do I reach out to? to answer a question on physiology and sports specificity. I thought of you right away. And for those people that don't know you, can you maybe give a bit of background on your area of research? Sure, no problem. So uh, I've been at Memorial for 26 years now. And you could say that my area of research is uh, like the neuromuscular responses to activity. And it's quite broad because I look at stretching, stability, foam rolling, resistance training. I've done a lot of different areas, but just like I say, you put that umbrella term neuromuscular responses, and I've pretty well covered a lot of them. That's right. And I mean, that's that's kind of where we're looking at because skateboarding is emerging again. It was always sort of like this counterculture activity. And now it's mainstream. It's part of the Olympics and people are starting to train like professional athletes when it comes to it. There's a lot of physiological challenges when somebody's learning to skateboard. And we're talking about people getting into it today. What are some of the things that would be sort of relevant physiologically for the people to think about when they first begin a new sport like that? Of course, it's the obvious thing is if you've never been on a skateboard, and I think I've only been on one once mm -hmm. and I fell on my ass right away, uh, is the balance. Yeah. So uh, you're certainly going to need better balance in order to, uh, to do skateboarding, even if you're just going to go down your driveway. So, uh, but then of course, you're going to have people want to do tricks and they're going to jump up or they want to jump off of railings and things like that. So that's going to take strength and, uh, and power. And then if you're going to do that for the next few minutes, even just a few minutes, that uh, it's a demanding sport. So it's going to take muscle endurance. And in order to control yourself, uh, that muscle endurance is uh, muscles not only in your legs, but your trunk as well. You need a really strong core to maintain that balance and to maintain your position. So I'd say strength, power, balance, coordination, and endurance are probably, and also a bit of flexibility. You're not going to need the flexibility of a gymnast, but still when you're up in the air and trying to land properly, you're going to be landing with the, perhaps your leg extended and you need to have the flexibility to adapt to the, the landings and the environment that you're in. 
That's right. Well, I've seen people have some wipeouts before too, and it can be pretty nasty if you if you're not limber. I'd say lots of muscles can be pulled easily. I'm sure that's probably something that happens more with age, which I'm starting to realize. But we're talking about people learning, and it's a hard thing to learn because it requires all those physiological demands. How does the brain actually learn new skills? Because it's quite a complex process. Well, of course, it's a, a complex process. And uh, but if we try to simplify it down here, rather than giving you a semester-long uh, course on it, <laughs> I would focus in on a part of your brain called the cerebellum. And the cerebellum uh, has been called the great comparator. And what they mean by that is that you know, let's let's take something really simple. Let's say we're we're throwing darts. And I got a dart board in front of me. The first time I throw the dart, I throw it way too high. So the brain says, okay, the intent was to throw the dart at the dart board. But the action involved the dart going way too high. So it compares, the grand comparator, the action to the intent. So the next time it tells me that I should throw the dart later to get it down. But the second time I throw it, I throw it way below the dart board. And again, it compares the action to the intent. Then the third time it tries to compare the last two. And by comparing each and every one, I get closer and closer. So the same thing would happen in skateboarding. I step on a skateboard, I fall off. So I learned from that because I learned that I probably leaned too far to the left. So next time I lean too far to the right, I fall off again. And the third time I'm starting to adapt all the things I learned. And then the, the cerebellum provides you with a program. And so, again, if we compare, let's say, to a tennis player like Federer or Djokovic, they don't think of the mechanics of hitting a forehand. They just say, oh, forehand. And it just happens. And if you're on a skateboard long enough, then you just think to yourself, landing. And you've got a program that allows you to land properly. So all the things you're supposed to do and bending your knees, keeping your trunk straight, absorbing the shock, et cetera, et cetera, that gets into this program that's automatic. Now, of course, when you're skateboarding, it's a very dynamic sport and things change. So that's the real challenge of skateboarding is that unlike hitting a forehand at the same height every time, it's, it's like playing tennis, but the ball is always different, which is, of course, what happens in tennis. But in tennis, you're standing on a firm surface, whereas skateboarding, you're not on a firm surface. So it's a real challenge to the cerebellum to try and to provide these programs to allow you to just not have to think about it. But then again, the program has to be very flexible because you're, you're not going to be landing in the exact same way that you did the last time. So it, it's basically the cerebellum and motor control. That's awesome. Well, I want to stick on the motor control, actually, because one of the things that's, uh, when, I guess, when you're learning the skill before that program is set is that maybe you're in the air and you've got to move your foot this way and twist it this way and, and turn your body and look a certain way. How does the body coordinate movements using these motor centers of the brain? Well, again, so the cerebellum provides you with a program, but it's being fed all this information. Mm -hmm. So you're getting information from the muscles and joints. Every time your muscle is stretched or your joint moves, there's these receptors called proprioceptors. And proprioceptors, of course, related to proprioception, tells you where your body is in space. So you need to be able to optimize that information, bring it back to the cerebellum, of course, to other parts of your brain. I'm just simplifying things down here, mm -hmm. uh, sensory motor area, and be able to know where your body is in space. If you don't skateboard or never been on a skateboard or you don't do a lot of jumping, you're not a gymnast, you're not accustomed to getting that 
detailed information because you're just walking along the road. So you don't need that kind of information and your brain hasn't developed the ability to, to take the detail of that information and adapt to it. So you need to be able to take that proprioceptive information and put it back in your brain and your cerebellum to help with that grand comparator. But also, of course, when you're in the air, your whole body is moving. So then you've got your vestibular system in your head and in your ears also tells you how your body is moving, whether it's moving left, right, forward, backwards. And again, that information is fed in with the proprioceptive information. So you not only know where your limbs are, but where your body and your head is in general. So then you're your cerebellum and your sensory motor system combines all that information to tell you, okay, here's where your body is. Uh-oh, it's moving to the left. Move your hips to the right to counteract that so that you land properly. Or your hips are leaning, so now we got to change the ankles and get the ankles so that you're leaning forward a bit more so that you don't fall off. In everyday life, when you're just walking down the street, you don't need that detailed information, but you need that detailed information when you're skateboarding. That's interesting. So that almost lends us to the whole idea of athleticism. There's certain people that are good at all sports. So in general, you're saying that somebody who's used to moving their body and maybe athletic by nature would be able to migrate into something like a sport like skateboarding that requires balance a little bit easier. Yeah, I would agree. So obviously somebody, again, if we go, I'm, I'm a tennis player. So people like Rafa Nadal, Djokovic, Federer, they weren't born to be the best tennis players in the world, but they definitely probably had some sort of genetic advantage. They probably, their reaction time might be a little bit better. Their balance might be a little bit better, et cetera. But they had to use that advantage and then train it to become the best in the world. But I'm sure you take those three athletes and you put them on a skateboard and they would start off in a better place than the average individual because they already have better balance skills than the average individual. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be jumping on a uh, on a railing and doing tricks off a railing the first time they get on a skateboard. Yeah. Their progress would probably be a lot faster because they have the, those intrinsic skills uh, that are that are more developed than the average individual. That's interesting because I think about other things that, that come into play here to help your brain understand what's happening. And one thing I think has got to be important is vision. So if you're going at speed and you're going down and you see something in the distance and it's moving closer at you, how do you your, your eyes work with your, your brain to do the task like that? Well, of course, the eyes are going to allow you to anticipate. And so when you see an obstacle that's going to be in front of you, you need to anticipate what's going to happen. And so there's an anticipatory adjustment. And so that anticipatory adjustment has to do with a lot of different aspects. It has to do with your balance because you're going to anticipate that you're going to jump over this obstacle and then land. So you have to anticipate that you're going to absorb shocks or you are going to go around an obstacle. So you have to anticipate and you're going to lean into a curve. So everybody should know that, you know, if, if you try to stand on one leg and you have your eyes open, you can stand on one leg for a lot longer than if you have your eyes closed. Mm -hmm. So the vision will allow you to focus on a point. And then that point allows, again, your vestibular system and your brain to see that, okay, I'm moving away from that point. Because the important thing is you've got a center of gravity. So the kind of the, your belly button is your center of gravity. Mm -hmm. And you want to normally try and keep your center of gravity beneath Beneath your base of support, your base of support is your two feet. Typically, of course, you might be only standing on one foot sometimes. But anyways, typically your, your base of support is two feet. So now I'm looking at a point on the wall and I see that 
I'm moving away from that point. So again, before, remember I mentioned about proprioception. Well, that will give you information. Your vestibular system gives you information, but now you can use the visual system also to back that up. And all three systems will work together to help provide you with even better balance. So I'm sure some of these people, if you, you put them without any obstacles, could could easily go skateboarding with their eyes closed as long as it wasn't anything for them to bump into. But they certainly wouldn't be able to do it as well as they can with their eyes open because the three of the systems work together to, to improve your balance. We're here with Dr. David Bain, professor and neuromuscular physiologist. He's breaking down the physiology of skateboarding and why it's such a tough sport. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. David Bame, exercise physiologist and neuromuscular physiology researcher. He's sharing what's happening in our bodies as people skateboard, how our brain and our muscles learn new tricks, and what we'll likely see as an evolution of skating performance as skateboarders in the competitive world are now turning to sport performance training to go higher, to be faster, and to be stronger. Let's check it out. One of the areas you've done a tremendous amount of research in is, is stretching. And so maybe somebody doesn't want to do a big stretch at the skate park, but before they get there or buy their car or something, they might want to limber themselves up. What would you recommend for them for a warm up for an activity like skateboarding? Well, like I say, we've uh, we've published a, an article or two on this area. Yeah. And what we found out, of course, for the past 20 years, it's been said that, you know, st static stretching will cause impairments in performance, you know, decrease powers, decrease strength, etc. The problem with those studies is that the stretching was always done in isolation. That means that you only stretched in these studies. You didn't do any uh, aerobic warm-up. You didn't do any specific uh, activities related to it. You only stretched. And then what they normally did is they did an extensive amount of stretching. Like they'd do five minutes. In some studies, they did 30 minutes of stretching, 60 minutes of stretching of one muscle group. Like who stretches their quads for 60 minutes? <laughs> Nobody does that. But in science, they want to take go to the extreme and see, okay, well, if we do this extreme, what happens? Well, of course, what happens? You get, you get weaker, you get less powerful. So the optimal warm up is one where you get your body warm. So, you know, go for a jog, go for a cycle, you know, do whatever, get your body temperature up one to two degrees Celsius. Then you do uh, a certain amount of static stretching. That amount is typically 60 seconds or less per muscle group. So if you want to stretch your hamstrings, the back of your legs, you know, maybe you do two 30 second stretches or three 20 second stretches, but no more than that, because more than 60 seconds seems to be the cutoff between having impairments and having the appropriate range of motion. And then after that, then you need to do some dynamic activity that's related to your sport. So of course, in this case, you get on the skateboard, you do some easy skateboarding maneuvers around just to warm your body up. In that case, that's going to give you a greater range of motion so that you, know, you can get down farther when you're doing certain things. Another problem, one of the reasons you get injured is that often, whether that's you know, skateboarding or football or soccer or basketball, is when you reach out with your leg and you land with your leg extended or the muscles extended, when the muscles are in a, at a longer length, they're weaker. But when you do static stretching as a regular routine, you have greater strength at longer lengths of a muscle. So if you land on an extended leg and you're not flexible, you're likely to pull a muscle or pull a tendon. But if you've been doing stretching, you're stronger at that longer length. 
So now you can protect yourself from injuries better, any muscle and tendon type injuries. That makes perfect sense. And, you know, I'm sure that people have had lots of little spills here and there that cause them to go to excessive range of motion. The other thing that's really sort of changing is the way people are training and, you know, pro skateboarders and Olympian skateboarders, and I'm sure people that compete at all different levels are starting to head to the gym to start to do conditioning work. What are some of the types of exercise programs that they're doing these days? All right. Well, this really reminds me of uh, like I'm I'm a, I'm an old fella. <laughs> so I, I remember, for instance, hockey back in the 1960s, and 1970s, where hockey players, all they did was play hockey. They didn't do weights. They didn't run. Guy Lafleur used to have a cigarette between periods. You know, back then you just played hockey and that's the way you got better at hockey. And skateboarding, you know, followed the same trajectory. You know, skateboarders just skated. They didn't do anything. But to really be a great athlete and, you know, you compare the top uh, hockey athletes now to the ones in the 60s, the training has really increased the level of hockey uh, today compared to the 1960s. And the same thing, you know, if we think of, you know, you mentioned skateboarding is now an Olympic sport. But what's the logo for the Olympics? It's Altius Citius Fortius. So higher, faster, stronger. So you can be really coordinated and be really good on a skateboard. But as skateboarding goes, it's going to be like gymnastics. Again, 30 years ago, when um, Kamenichi won, I think it was the 1972 Olympics, they were amazed at her feats. But when you take a look at what she was doing then compared to what Simone Biles is doing now, it, it doesn't look like much. And that's what I see with skateboarding is that they're going to look at gymnasts. They're going to look at mogul skiers. They're going to look at all these people who are doing these unbelievable moves. And they're going to add a lot of that to what they're doing with skateboarding. And so you're going to need to have more power. You're going to have more endurance, more strength, all the things we mentioned before in order to add these things. And again, Altius, they're going to jump higher. Citius, they're going to go faster. And of course, to do that, they're going to need Fortius. They're going to be, need to be stronger. Right. So would they actually be engaging in things like some of the things we've seen for pro sports? So I used to train hockey players, obviously. So they're doing plyometrics and they're doing weight training and they're doing all sorts of conditioning. So like, what would be some exercises if somebody was like, okay, I want to get a little better. I want to get a little stronger, a little faster. What would be some types of activities they would do in the gym? Yeah, so uh, absolutely right. So everybody, if they're starting off, would have to start off and, and improve their foundation. Their foundation would be their strength. And of course, the foundation for skateboarding would be their leg strength and their trunk strength. They don't have to spend a lot of time doing bicep curls because they're, they're not lifting weights with their upper body. But they do need to control their body. And it's the trunk and the legs that are going to do that for them. So you'd want to build up the strength in the trunk and the legs. Once you've got that foundation, then you can move, as you mentioned, to plyometrics. Now, plyometrics is when you add jumping and bounding and hopping and all these types of dynamic activities. So it's a power activity. Power is force times speed. All right. So again, we're talking about Citius and Fortius. All right. Strength and speed. So we add the plyometrics and now you've got the power aspect. So now you can jump higher. But again, we mentioned before, it's balance. So you're not jumping off of the floor or off the ground. That's always going to be there and going to be solid. That skateboard is, is malleable and it's moving all the time. So it's very unstable. So now what you want to do is you want to add some instability type devices. Now, again, when we're talking about training specificity, you know, standing 
on a uh, on a BOSU ball that's not moving isn't the same as being on a skateboard. But what you have to think of is progression. You know, I, I, I mentioned that you should start off with strength. Well, obviously, bodybuilders aren't automatically going to be great skateboarders, but you need a foundation of strength to go to power. Same thing with the balance and stability. You need a foundation. So you'd start off with some stationary movements, uh, like standing on a, uh, a wobble board, standing on a BOSU ball or uh, Swiss balls, and then you transfer that to more dynamic instability with resistance and so then you'd be jumping off of bosu balls and uh, jumping off of rocker boards in order to get the same kind of uh, activity that you would with uh, with skateboarding and so it would improve your balance improve your strength improve your power and then you could translate that over to your skateboarding training that's excellent. Well, that is a lot of really important information. And I, I, I can see that happening all the time. One of my favorite surf movies had this young fellow who was a world champ. And one quote in the movie says, I don't train. I don't go to the gym. I just surf. Then he blew his ACL. And now if you look at his Instagram, all he's doing is training in the gym. So there is an evolution that exists with those types of things. And I, I think that's really important. What would you tell somebody when it comes to the process of learning all these different things and how the body will, will reward them eventually? Yeah, well, again, it's very similar to uh, to any type of sport, and you have to you have to build that foundation. So you can get better at skateboarding just by skateboarding. Just like you, obviously, as a basketball player, you you know you've got to shoot baskets, be better as a basketball player. But you're not going to get to the top unless you build the foundation of strength and power and add to those skills. We need to uh, be able to balance that out because, again, the athletes of today are going to be jumping higher and faster than the athletes of yesterday, and you can't do that just by standing on a on a skateboard. So you you need to have the balance between being in the gym and training and, and building up that foundation and then being out in the skate park and, and learning those skills. And you combine those two, then, then you've got the, the recipe for success. Also, you got a recipe for health right there. You got your outdoor activities, you got your indoor recreation activities as well, and you're you're becoming a healthier person. Uh, Dr. Bame, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate having your expertise on a, a pretty unusual topic for us, but I think it was a, a great summary for everybody listening. My pleasure. Really appreciate being invited to be here today. Thanks, Mike. Well, that's our show today. And that's what I love about doing this show is learning something new. It's great to see such amazing community involvement from people like BJ who are making the sport so much more accessible and inclusive. It's also great to see local businesses supporting artists and building a culture around the sport. Last but not least, it's interesting to hear how the sport is evolving and all the amazing things our body does to learn new skills and do tricks. I look forward to seeing the next generation of skaters around the province push the limits of what they can do. Well, thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM. <laughs>